Hey, it's Jay. And as you might have heard, I launched my first ever online course at the end of 2020. It's called Growable Shows. Here's the deal. Everybody wants a show that grows. Very few people have stopped to consider, have they built anything growable? So Growable Shows is about developing your show's premise. In other words, the IP driving everything you do. Yes, inside the show, certainly, but also around the show, the language you're using, the marketing content you create, the other IP extensions that we've heard talked about on the show before, other projects that support and evangelize the core ideas of the show, uh, the things you use to build your brand and serve your community. The premise is the most important and transformative part of any show, yet way too often it's underdeveloped or not developed at all. And so your biggest challenge when you create a show is really to say something that matters. I mean, what a novel idea. Say something that matters. It's not about the microphone. It's not about the marketing channel. It's not about the name of the guest. The first most pivotal thing, develop the premise. And because it's an idea stage type thing, it feels ephemeral. It's like we're looking to come up with an idea. We're looking for the muse to strike. And so inside the course, I try to set aside all of those misnomers about creativity and get us to work using a blend of production techniques, good process, exercises you can implement, and uh, definitely a lot of quirks for me. I had a lot of fun making this, plus dozens and dozens of examples deconstructed. And it's all available for you on demand forever. So everybody wants to grow their show. Let's make something growable instead. Let's focus on making a show that makes a difference. How about that? Let's say something that matters and develop our premises. And speaking of your show, I wanted to celebrate the launch of the course by taking questions from people running their shows uh, that they've submitted to me to help them each with their shows. And I think by doing these answers publicly, hopefully help you, the listener. Um, so if you ever want to submit a question to me, by the way, just tweet me. I'm at Jay Aconzo. And we'll do maybe a mailbag every other month or so. Um, so in this mailbag, we're going to talk about premise development, certainly, performing on a microphone, lining up guests and researching for each episode, and a lot more. And it's all going to be pressed through the lens of making a show that makes a difference. I want to know how to do the things to do A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you Well, hello. Uh, this is another episode of Three Clips. It's a special episode, a mailbag episode. Typically, podcasters will take us inside their best work and we'll break down their shows. Today, we're going to break down the craft a little bit differently. We're going to mix it up with that mailbag. But before we get to your questions, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Wistia. Wistia is one of the most used platforms for video and video marketing for organizations who care about creativity and growing a community. Last year, they also launched a platform for podcasters, so they're not just video anymore. This platform helps you host, distribute, measure, and grow your show, which, by the way, if you've ever visited our homepage for Three Clips, you can actually see part of the technology in action. It's this really slick homepage, among other things, um, with a lot more functionality and a lot better situation than sending people to Apple or Spotify. So you can go to marketingshowrunners.com slash podcast and check out our Wistia channel. Wistia offers a suite of tools that is all focused really on one thing, not brand awareness, but brand affinity. It's not about blasting the world with your logo and your message. People knowing you exist doesn't really matter. It's about people trusting you and loving you and loving what you do earning that trust and love over time with your content. Affinity, not awareness. And Wistia is 
providing tools to help you with brand affinity. So you can learn more about them at wistia.com. And if you end up talking to them, maybe tell them I sent you. Wistia.com, W-I-S-T-I-A.com. And thank you to them for supporting Three Clips. Okay, so today we have seven questions from listeners. And again, if you want to submit one, uh, no guarantee we'll use it, but I'd love to hear from you. I will at least get you an answer, even if we don't use it on the show. But tweet me, please, at Jay Akunzo. I'm really responsive there uh, on Twitter. And I said, I think we'll do maybe one of these every other month or so. Uh, but also joining me for these questions and to make sure that I'm kind of held accountable to good answers, uh, I wanted to bring in producer Sheree Turner. Hi, Jay. This is Sheree Turner, and I am one of the producers on Three Clips. Happy to be here. <laughs> good, because I feel like <laughs> if you said anything else, I would my feelings would be hurt. <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a wonderful show to work on. It is always a ton of fun. I love breaking down the craft of making podcasts. So. Well, what's really cool about making stuff for makers or making stuff about makers for makers is anyone you work with is a maker. So they're like, cool, this is like about the stuff that I do and like. Okay, so here's how we're going to do the mailbag. So Sheree, why don't you read me the questions? And like I said, hold me accountable. Also chime in if you have other things to add. Okay, so uh, let's go to question one. Let's just dive right in. That sounds great. So the first question comes from Heike Young. And she says, okay, I have one, Prof. Many marketers doing shows are interviewing, quote unquote, customers in some capacity. How to cast customers so you're getting compelling content. I know asking the right questions really helps, but sometimes great questions don't yield the best answers depending on who it is. All right, Jay. So, yeah, so Heike Young, uh, thanks for the question. Heike is the director of content strategy at Salesforce. I, I mean, Heike knows what I'm going to say here, I believe, but, but it's like, she, if sometimes great questions don't yield the best answers, which means they're not great questions. <laughs> but I think the, the pithy answer here is, you know, even zooming out further than just the questions you ask, you need slack in the system. So what I mean by that is you need some room to explore, to experiment, to do the stuff that isn't just capturing content and then you're forced to use it. And I'm, I'm struck by this with, especially when you compare marketers, um, solo creators, entrepreneurs, you know, business related show, not business topic shows, but shows that support someone's business. When, when those are the shows, typically it's a very rigid process where it's like, okay, I'm going to email you. And if you say yes, the first time I'm going to talk to you is going to be right before I hit record, the moment we're hitting record. And then anything that happens after that, I kind of have to use. Maybe I trim some of it. It's really rigid that way. But when you have slack in the system, in other words, you, you have more time to play with, slack in the system looks like doing a prep call. Like, Cherie, that's, that's been pretty transformative for me on Three Clips. Like working with you and having you do a prep call with whoever we're speaking with has been transformative for the final interview. So prep calls were what Kristen LaFrance from Shopify called energy checks when we talked to her on, on an episode of Three Clips. Prep calls help you build rapport. It ensures that when the customer, in this case, in Heike's question, when the customer or any subject shows up to your show, they're not robotic because you have that rapport built. You prepare them for, look, this is a performance. I'll just tell you straight up, like we're doing a show. Let's bring it. Let's tell some stories. So prep calls are part of the slack in the system. Um, enough time during the actual production, during the actual recording to set expectations up front before you hit record, you know, create the right environment. If you're casual, they'll be casual. If you're stiff, they'll be stiff. 
So all of this comes from Slack in the system. You need a process that allows for stuff that is not meant to be heard by the audience. Way more goes on to create a great experience than the things that the listener actually gets. We need to bake that into our process. Sheree, anything I missed? Well, one of the things I think about is, especially if you're doing, say, a show a week or you're you're just you're cranking out lots and lots of interviews. I think that interviewers can fall into the same traps that people who get interviewed a lot fall into. And that is sort of having your boilerplate things that you say. And I think it's always important to approach every single interview like it's your first one, like it's this unique thing that you're doing because you have a unique guest and you want to get unique information from them. So just kind of going in and having that fresh approach every single time. And I would also say to always, always, always be keeping in mind what your premise is. And I know we're going to talk about premise a little bit more, but keeping people on track, like that's your job and you don't want to get too far off topic and you want to be delivering information that your audience wants and not necessarily what the person wants to talk about or some interesting factoid that you want to go on a tangent about. So I think just staying on track is really good. And so I think being really present, you know, just honoring every interview as a unique interview and keeping your premise in mind, I think those are really helpful things. And I would have to agree with you a thousand times over about prep. Prep and post-production are really, really yep. critical in all of this. So you you just, th- these things don't happen quickly. Everyone's looking for the tiny thing. What clever questions can I ask? Um, or another one is what technology can I record through? Look, that can help. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I am a huge proponent now for the first time since, you know, 2020, I started doing this, not for other shows, but last year I started using Squadcast or Riverside, all these, these tools that record the audio separately for each guest on their own machines, then they sync it to you, the host, at the end. So you avoid the wonkiness of the audio that comes through Zoom or Skype. So technically, the audio is better, but also they have a video component so you can see the person. Because if you see me smile and you see me relax and you see me laugh, and Cherie, you have such a wonderful way of like throwing your head back and laughing quietly at jokes. You're doing it right now. Like, so... It makes me the host and I know our guests feel amazing if they're telling a story and they see a producer reacting so warmly. So there are those little things, but it's not the panacea, right? The tool can help. It's not the panacea. It's really you and your process. If the guest does not give you good answers, that's not their fault. It's yours. So you need Slack in the system. All right, let's go to the next question. Okay. Our next question comes from Lindsay Lapchuk. I do hope that I'm pronouncing your last name correctly there, Lindsay. And Lindsay says, or Lindsay asks, any great tricks or tips for uncovering white space in a busy podcast market? Yeah. Stop looking at the podcast market. You're not in the business of creating a podcast. Stop looking at the podcast market. You're trying to create the container when people want the stuff inside. And so like, what do they need? I don't know, like instead of looking at podcasting and interacting with podcasts, the charts, the technologies, all that, go participate in the community that you want to serve. Like you, you, you should also feel personally invested in something that's broken. You're frustrated. I mean, in the, in growable shows, in the course, we start our exercises with something called the frustration statement, which is meant to be that spark that you start building your ideas through rigorous creative process, not trying to find them or come up with them. Like you, everyone's like trying to look for white space 
and follow trends and follow or, or react to peers. Don't react. Be proactive. Go and participate in the community and listen to your own intuition and what's broken, what's actually underserved. So you, could, you should actually never need to survey the market. You should already understand because you're a participant in the community what they're not getting. And the show was like a journey to explore something deeper or change something that you feel is broken and the community does too. Right. And I'm going to keep coming back to this because it is really important. And I know it's something you hammer on all the time, but I'll hammer on it too, is premise. That's where your premise comes in because you want to have a really clear vision. You don't want to go out there and like try and just fill this niche that you think, you know, this, this white space that you think is there. And the other thing I think is don't try to be popular. There are lots of things you can do to get more listeners uh, in a manufactured way. But I really believe that if you come at this in an authentic way and you do a good quality, well thought out job, you're going to find your audience that's going to appreciate you. Let me break premise into two pieces. It's the topics plus the hook. The topics will not be differentiating. So when you're looking for white space in the market, typically you're looking for what topics are not being discussed. And so coming out of the marketing industry, as I have so many of my peers or people I know of through social media circles, for example, are launching shows about marketing and they're, they're retreading the same topics. Topics are not differentiating. That's what, that's what happens when you look to make a podcast or look at the market. The hook is. So if topics are what you explore, the hook is how you explore it. And there's all kinds of hooks and we go over it in the course, but ranging from the gimmick which is like, we are going to talk to celebrities like a million other shows. But on this show, those celebrities will eat progressively spicier wings, right? That's hot ones. That's a gimmick. Gimmicks are not hollow. There are hollow gimmicks. There are cheap gimmicks. But gimmicks are just like a named conceit that changes the experience in some often playful way. Um, or the quest. That's probably the hardest. If the gimmick is the easiest, the quest is probably the hardest hook, which is like, we're on a journey to change something and it matters. It's a mountain peak we're marching towards, but we don't have a path yet to do it. So every episode is us hacking through the jungle. Come with us. That's a quest. So how you explore these topics is actually far more differentiating than what you explore because the topics are probably already being addressed by others. And that is okay unless the only thing you're doing is looking at the market because then you can't find the emotional through lines that lead to a hook. And that, that comes from talking to your audience. So I'd say like great marketing is participation. It's not promotion. Go participate first. Then it'll be obvious. And you'll never even think about, is this different? Because your audience will be practically demanding that you create it. Okay, great question, Lindsay. Thank you so much. It's, it's a hard answer, I know. But this is the real work. This is where you stop looking for the simple answer and the real work actually begins. Um, let's go to question three. Okay, for our third question, we have Jay Croft. And Jay asks... I'm still struggling to refine the premise of optimal aging, as you and I have discussed. He's referring to yep. you there, Jay. You provide a lot of info on the topic, so I'm not sure I have a question, but I think that's my main issue. Jay, my friend, first of all, thank you for the question. I've, I've been on Jay's show. I was a little bit struck by the fact that I was on his show because the show professes to be about, I believe, and Jay, I apologize here, fitness businesses and communities that serve the 50 plus crowd. Such a specific and awesome niche. Jay has the premise. It's already there. He already knows it, right? Jay, you already know what the premise should be. And so you need to then stick to that. That's the hard work. 
the hard, so first of all, you're not alone. I don't want to sound trite. You're not alone. So here's where I'd start to break down the solution because you already know you have a problem. The solution, I think there's two potential things to look at. One, why is focusing hard? It is the solution to have something very specific, but it's also hard to be specific because you might be excited about lots of other stuff like having me on the show. I don't think I should have been on a show unless you can somehow press me through the lens of running fitness businesses for the 50 plus crowd. You might be excited about other things or you might be worried that if you don't also address that other stuff, you're missing out. I see this all the time in business shows in particular. It's like we are talking to whatever, marketing leaders and entrepreneurs and authors and influencers and, 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 and about their marketing success and business growth and thoughts on the world and, 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 and. It's because it's like something in here will stick for some people. So it's like, oh, you don't want the marketing authors? No worries. We have practitioners too. Like the problem is you're either excited about too many things. So that causes kind of spillage in all directions around your premise or you're worried It's like a desperation attempt. It's like when a website has too many bits of copy or proof. It's like too loud up front instead of like being confident in who they're trying to be. So assume you won't have the appeal of an actual actor type celebrity, a musician type celebrity. They can talk about and, 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 and because the hook is celebrity has a podcast, right? That's their specificity. Don't take your cues from media organizations that launch generic sounding shows because they can launch it to millions and millions of people out of the gate and they have the backing of this entity. Assume that we all have to be specific. So that's the first thing. Second reason, sunk costs. So for a show like Jay's, which has been running, the sunk cost is, well, I'm already doing something called this. I already described my show this way. I already have three or four episodes in the can. And so I should keep going. This, this idea that like, I, I can't actually kill it. So we keep throwing bad, uh, good money after bad, as they say. And so I think we also have to reconcile that fact. Sheree, what did I miss? Anything or any other things to add? Well, I, I look at a topic like this and I think, because it's a, it's a pretty broad topic. It sounds narrow, fitness over 50, but it's actually a pretty wide There are a lot of topics that could be covered. So I would say, you know, focus on what you're most interested in and what you're an expert in. Bring an expertise to the table. I I need to chime in on that. I, I, I need to challenge that because I think most shows, the experts, the desire to be an expert hurts them. I just want to unpack this quick because I think it's such an important point. I, and I'm pausing because I feel really awkward that I was like, no, you're wrong. I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think expertise is part of it. But I think what a show really transforms their audience and becomes a transformative show is when the host can say, I actually don't know the answers and I want to go find them. So I will be your guide as we go try and figure this out. And that opens up more possibilities for what you might explore and also has a deeper impact because it's not based on what you've done and what you know. You're a limiting factor. So it really removes that constraint in favor of you acting like that guide or that explorer. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I actually, in my mind, am saying kind of the same thing. And that's, that is why I said, do something that you have a great interest in. Because people will look to somebody like him to be 
to have a lot of knowledge. But I think more to my point is just deliver something that you want to really get into with people and you want to explore with them or help them through. I think that's really important. All right. Question four. Who we got? So our fourth question comes from Tim Hamrick. And Tim says, Tim asks, what are some tips, strategies, advice for developing more of a performance mindset, not just talking to people about X? Okay, so I'm going to break this down for you, Tim, into two categories of answers, because I think one or both will address what you mean by performance mindset, because I think there's two different ways to interpret this. You as a performer, so your voice, and then the show feeling like a performance. Like it doesn't feel like a podcast, it feels like a show. So let's start with you as a performer. Find opportunities to consistently communicate with an audience all the time. When I don't do an episode, I lose my ability to perform. If it's like two, three, four, five weeks since I've done an episode or a speech, like this is practice and it's always elusive. It's always like, I kind of feel like I'm not as strong if I haven't done it in a while. So do as many episodes as possible. Uh, Listen to yourself as much as possible. That's huge. Go for a walk. Listen in an app like a podcaster would or download it to your phone. Don't stare at the waveform because it's going to, that's a, an assist that the audience doesn't get. That's an aid to make sense of the content, right? If you have to look away and close your eyes because you can't leave your desk, fine. Just find a way to listen as a listener would. So that's one. The second is the performance feel to the show. That's where you need a rundown, a documented strategy for the show. What is the flow of the episode? Are you using segments that are visible? or invisible. Either way, you know your segments, right? The segments of the story, but it feels like one experience to the audience. The segments of the episode, like three clips, where we're introducing chapters to you every episode. And you can steal this from others. You can do what I call an extraction. Go to a show you admire that's different in some way, like it's not the same topic, and extract what you think they're doing underneath the content. The show Bible is like the documented strategy of a show end to end, which contains a rundown. And that's something that I love, I love to teach. So I'm sure you can dig it up on the site, Tim. The performance of a show is just like the performance of a voice. It also comes with practice, but in both cases, you can give yourself a little bit better odds to start. So I just want to leave it at that. All right, well, let's move on to question five. This question comes from Ash Reed and Ash asks, I'd love to hear your process for consistently lining up great guests and how much research goes into each interview. Uh, Well, lucky for you, Ash. Ash is the editorial director at Buffer and also the host of a wonderful narrative podcast. They just did season one, um, I think a year and a half ago or so called Breaking Brand. Awesome show. Ash came on this show um, a while ago too. So Ash, I love this question. Ryan Hawk is the host of the Learning Leader Show. He's interviewed celebrities, professional athletes, like it's, it's a leadership based show, but he does an exceptional job with his interviews. He has a 10 to one approach that he told me about. He has 10 hours of research for every one hour spent with a guest, which I really like. Obviously it's a, it's, it's a guideline, not a hard and fast rule, but I like the fact that it reveals to you so quickly what actually goes into these things. Um, But Cherie, you're way more involved in this process with three clips specifically. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. So so one thing comes to mind, just not which individual guests that we're going to book, but also we're not just looking at each individual, but also looking at the arc of the whole show 
And making sure, you know, we talk about the craft of making podcasts. Well, podcasts come in lots of different shapes and sizes, and there are lots of different voices. So we look at diversity from a very broad lens. So is it an interview show? Is it a narrative show? Does it have a lot of sound design? It, what's this person an expert in? What's their point of view? It, we just, we, we keep in mind lots and lots of different elements that go into podcasting so we can bring something to people who are interested in making all sorts of different podcasts. So that's one thing. So I just think about the general arc of your show. And and also, so getting to specific guests, yeah, we do a lot of research. We do pre-interviews with our guests. And part of that is to find out a little bit more about them, to understand how they interact. And I also take into consideration if somebody's been interviewed a lot and how do you approach them if they haven't been interviewed a lot? Do they sound nervous? Do you know, you, you just want to think through all of the different things that are going to help you get to a good interview. Uh, can I, I just add to that when you are a guest driven show, like three clips, it behooves you to find a theme or an angle, like a purpose why that guest is coming on the show. And it shouldn't just be they're good or successful or known. You know, the name of the guest shouldn't carry the show. Bonus points if it helps with the episode, but it should be like the service to the audience. What are they getting out of it? And so we always talk about that too. And that informs the research. It's like, hey, I think we're going to have this one on because of their sound design. We're going to have this one on because of their premise. We're going to have the, the, you know, and we get more specific than those ideas, but you get the concept, I think, Ash, which is like, when you actually pick out ahead of time the purpose to speaking to somebody, it becomes way easier to focus your research. And also the research becomes more insightful and useful for me as a host because it, it's, 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 you, you were able to use however many hours you have, Sheree, to dig deeper into something specific versus like get me a bunch of like checking the box of the basics. Yeah. And I would say also be open to being surprised. Like you have an idea of maybe why you want to interview somebody, but let them tell you some things about themselves. And it may change the direction of where you're going. That happens a lot. I often have gone into interviews thinking I'm going to get one thing and I get very surprised uh, because there was something I didn't know about that person that they revealed to me. And it's like, ooh, actually, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's that give and take. None of this is a surefire. You know, you're going to have it all figured out. You have to be able to move in the moment and be a, a bit flexible. You know, another thing I would, the last thing I would add, Sheree and Andrea, the other producer that I work with, tend to, per, to focus their research on the subject and the show the subject hosts or works on. And I tend to focus on the audience and tying it back to themes that I know you, the listener, are thinking about and going through and, and all that stuff. And sometimes it happens up front. You know, I might sketch out a few questions based on the research and sometimes it happens in the moment, but it's always playing, it's playing off the research, um, you know, because I don't have to spend time just trying to figure out the facts, I can get into the themes and the stories, which is where I think, you know, I, I like to spend time and also where any host should should spend time. Okay, cool. We could talk about this stuff for literally a three-hour episode. Let's move on to question six. Thank you for the question, Ash. Who's next? Okay, question six comes from Lucas Walker. And Lucas asks, how do you stop asking double-barreled questions and moving away from the mic? I just think about the pew pew sound. All right. Uh, how do you stop going pew pew and just go pew? I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> uh, I do this a lot, Lucas, where it's like, hey, this is a question. And also this is another question. Go. Bad idea. I, I Partly you could write these out, right? Like have a couple questions, read it verbatim, 
shut up. I think the key is you got to get addicted to the magic that truly does unfold when you ask simple questions simply. When you just say, what about this? Why? I've experienced this way. Have you? And you're not trying to couch the question. And I think the reason I've done the double barrel before or couched things or gave it too much context, partly it's just kind of the way I am and the way I speak, but partly it's just for years I was worried of giving the guest a question, and this is going to sound weird, that they had to think about. Silence is, can, it can be golden. You can cut it out, sure. But also it can be so gripping to hear somebody have to be like, huh. Okay, here's my answer, right? And again, you can cut it out if you want, but I, giving them questions that are simple often means they have to actually think about it because you haven't over-explained it and you haven't created a rushed feel that they then feel rushed to answer. So if you're thoughtful, slow, and short, they will also be thoughtful and slow. And, and again, if they are short too, you can follow up. Yeah, and I, I do want to double down on the make some space for silence. Give them a moment because that's oftentimes when you get really good answers and you don't want to be speaking over them. So give them the space to say everything that they want to say. And like Jay said, it's important. Do your follow-up questions. How did that feel? Is that what you expected? It's funny. This goes back to the first question from Heike, which is Slack in the system. It, uh, you know, if you are not allowing yourself the time to ask follow-up questions, you might feel that pressure to be like, I want to ask you this, 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 and this, go. So having the ability to ask, wait, allow for silences, and more importantly, chase interestingness, it's okay if they didn't give you the answer you wanted right away because you have another crack at it. You can restate the same question to try and get the better answer and cut out the first, or you can ask a follow-up to go deeper in the same direction. But either way, I think there's this rampant, myth about interviewing, which I'm only getting in implied fashion from talking to a lot of podcasters, but I think it exists. I think this idea is that the question you ask needs to yield the answer you want. And it's actually the questions plural. Know that it's not, you're not going to, it's not going to be one question that yields the great answer. Uh, Should we move on to question seven? So Question seven comes from Ricardo Belmar, and Ricardo asks, what kind of planning document, scripting, and pre-meeting do you do with guests before any recording? Do you have any tips? Uh, Let's break down what we do on three clips. It's going to be different per show, right? So this is like, this is a data point. Three Clips has a pretty rigorous process behind it because we now have three people working on it. Um, Myself as the host, Cherie and Andrea as the producers. So we have, we use Trello to organize. Um, We have a column in Trello that is about, it's all the documents that we could possibly want. So it's the documented episode structure. So we do have this written out idea of like cold open is for this purpose. We have about this target in mind for time to edit down to for the cold open that we move to the intro. Then we move to the, uh, uh, the A block. A block has a set purpose and a couple of bullets for what we want to touch on. B block, C block, et cetera. We have transition music planned between each block. We have some pre-planned questions. Definitely we have written out voiceover to introduce each block to you, the listener. And so we use this rundown and we updated it, I don't know, Cherie, 10, 12 times in the last six months, maybe. Um, 
So, and that's, that's like documentation. That's basically us working on the show. It's engineering the show. Uh, so that's, what, that's, that's the biggest, most important bit of documentation we have. And then, so Trello has that in its own column and we have other stuff too: guest outreach language, uh, ideas to invent or reinvent the show, ideas to grow the show, music files. It's all in one column or one list in Trello. Then we have a bunch of episode ideas. Then we have a bunch of episodes that we move to prep. Then we have a bunch moving to scheduled. The guest is scheduled. Then editing. So these are now in post. Then the rough cut, which is like, it's kind of rough. We need some whittling down. They sent uh, Andrea or, or Cherie will send it to me for notes. And then we have ready. And then we have launched. So that's our entire flow end to end. And uh, we're always tinkering on it. Cherie, what else? What else is part of the process? Well, we've talked about a lot of the process already, but just to reiterate from my standpoint is, you know, I do a, a lot of research on our guests. We have a meeting every week where we talk about very specific things, but we also always have room to talk about just things that are on our mind. And I, I think it's great to have that that room to throw out some creative ideas and not just be so rigorous. So we always have a little bit of that in there. And then, you know, we do the pre-interviews. We I think through very specifically why I pick the clips that I clip, why I pick the clips that I pick and what episode I pick them from. And because we do all of that on this end, we do not ask our guests to pick the episode or the clips that we run. In fact, they don't even know what the clips are before they come on the show. That's something that we've talked about on some episodes, but not all of them. So maybe an interesting tidbit for people to know. And... Yeah, so that's a lot of the that's a lot of the front end work that we do. And then in the moment I always sit in on the interviews with Jay and help with any notes or steer things or keep us on track and at time and make sure that you know we're recording. That's an important one. I will I actually will say just as a quick diversion that just about every podcaster I have ever met has the horror story of not pressing record at the right time and I have one of those <laughs> stories too that I will not tell here. But, you know, <laughs> uh, so know your equipment. Actually, that's a really good point, too, to, to prepping. Really know your equipment. Do like do some test interviews with whatever you're using and make sure you're getting yeah. good sound and adjust for that and have that all dialed in before you book or before you have your guests show up and you you don't know what you're doing and you don't get a good recording. So so these things are actually part of this planning, scripting process, even though it doesn't feel like it's like, you know, it's scripted out in some document somewhere. So I wanted to bring that up for Ricardo. I think that was it. I think that's the process. That covers it as far as, yeah. Oh, oh, one thing I didn't mention is, Sheree, when you send me the clips, I I will, I'll actually ignore them and I'll listen to the whole episode instead. I'll always listen to the show's trailer if they have one because I want to hear how they speak to the premise. And I, I listen to the full episode, but I actually don't want to know what the specific clips are because like the audience, like the guest, I want to experience at least that, that like that clip, not for the first time, but the fact that we're going to ask stuff about it. I do have some questions about the themes of each block. Like clip one is about the premise. So I'll come up with some questions about the show's premise, but I will not come up with questions about the clip specifically because I want to listen to it mindfully in the moment and see what's hitting me just the same as the audience, just the same as the guests too. So that's a little wrinkle in the process that I've tried lately and it seems to work. So always tinkering on the process. Yeah. And that does speak to the element of surprise 
right, of going into an interview ready to be surprised, of going like you're going in not knowing what clips we've chosen. So that's a surprise for you. And those are things that you you get better with with practice, but there's no set way of doing it. And that's part of the beauty of making shows and being a creative person is that sometimes you just have to do it in the moment and you get better over time. One of the things I tweeted early on was like, a, you know, trying to, I'm trying to learn and grow in public sometimes. And if I can inspire a few others to do the same, great. If it's useful what I do, awesome. I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to do what I do for a living. But uh, I said, I think I want to I allow for more improvisation in my career. And I think the problem with so much of what we do is we're trying to remove moments of improvisation. But that's where really good stuff happens. So uh, with that, I want to say thank you to everybody who submitted questions. A reminder about the course Growable Shows. We're doing January bonuses, like giveaways for customers who buy in January. I haven't updated the site yet, but I will shortly. We're going to give away what, what Mike Ganino, who, who is a workshop student, what he calls hot seats. Um, I'm going to give away 10 hot seats. So anybody who buys the course in January is eligible for one of 10 basically quick reviews that I'll do of the work you complete in the course. Um, so this is an on-demand course. There's no live component, but I'm offering that to 10 people who buy in January. I'll pick those at random at the end of the month. December, we did um, an invite to a group call with me and others, as well as some exclusive content. So th those were December bonuses. So we'll keep doing these bonuses each month. January's will be, um, you can win one of 10 hot seats. The link to the course is in your show notes, or you can go to marketingshowrunners.com, click workshops at the top, and it's the first link on that page. I also have it pinned at the top of my Twitter. Um, and then final reminder to subscribe to what we do at marketingshowrunners.com slash subscribe. Or again, you can check it out in the show notes. I write a weekly newsletter. It contains episodes of this show, but it's called Playing Favorites. So we also talk about stories, insights, and techniques that kind of push aside all the noise and the BS of our industry and focus on what we all really want to do the most, which is make the audience's favorite things. So you can subscribe using the link in the show notes. I am Jay Akunzo. And I am Sheree Turner. And we believe, I think I can speak for you, Cherie, sure. that this work we do is not about who arrives, it's about who stays. So if you are hearing this, huge thank you for staying with us. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of Three Clips. We're going to run the show weekly for a time. So we're back each Monday and I'll leave it at that. Bye. Bye.